Hey, and welcome to the Beer and Bible Podcast. We have somehow made it to episode eight. We've survived. We've survived. I'm Paul, if you haven't listened to the other seven episodes. I'm Dan. And we have a special guest with us today. His name is Mike. He is the world-renowned expert <laughs> in King David fan fiction. Okay, let me just stop you there. <laughs> As I said before, I am, I am not trained. I have absolutely no theological or schooling on this. I'm just someone who has been fascinated by the story since I was a kid, and I've read literally every single book and watched every single movie I can about this guy, uh, and I'm just really obsessed with Bible fan fiction, I guess. So here <laughs> here I am. You're getting what you're paying for. Well, the reason I invited you on here, onto our um, very prestigious podcast, is because of your... Um, you've written several chapters and other writings about david Mm -hmm. and then you've shared them here and there over the years uh via social media and every time i've read one i've been like dude this stuff is really good and i've probably contacted you five times over the past 10 years asking you if you're done with your book yet (laughs) yeah a lot of people have (laughs) you ever finish that or you just like randomly so i really enjoyed the the fact that you were really able to open up the story and make it about real people and I think a lot of people have a hard time reading the Old Testament and embracing and enjoying the character development and the people that are in it. So this is a part of a kind of a mini-series that we plan to do because we're doing Abraham as well. Yep. And um, I've got – oh, Jonah was the other one. So we really wanted to do – like King David is going to be the big one. Um, but then we were going to do Abraham and Jonah as well. Well, I'm, and King David covers a good part of the, or his family covers a big part of the Old Testament, and you got mm-hmm. the Psalms, and you have yeah. all this. So, we, I mean, we'll interview you. So, you know, <clears throat> as a journalist, you like to interview other people. We'll make you feel uncomfortable today. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. I'll do my best. I'm much better at asking questions than I am answering them. And I will, I will go into, you know me, I've, I'll go into rabbit trails, I'll ramble, stop me. Shut me up, do whatever you want to get this back on track and say what you will. Um, but no, yeah, you're right. I uh, I was working on a, a book for a long time called The Shepherd King, which I wanted to kind of just tell his story in a, in a really human way. Um, and then I realized that, that was just going to be way too long. Like that was a book about two books. Um, <laughs> well, technically three if you count First Kings and Psalms. And then um, so then I, <laughs> I I realized like, you know, maybe this isn't how I want to take this and I've always really I think wanted to be a screenwriter I think it's where my passion is so I've actually tried to start writing it as a screenplay for an episodic miniseries I wouldn't want to do a TV show because I think that that doesn't I don't think that'd work I just like I just want to do these these stories in this much time frame and then be done so, so if anybody from Netflix is listening then yeah, you're available for HBO. hire yeah, yeah. Well, basically yeah yeah actually it have to be HBO because it's so Gritty. It's it gritty, graphic. gritty, graphic, violent. Um, Men peeing on walls. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> we'll get but to that but later. it's been done, too. It's been done so many times. Like, ABC just did a show, la- like, two years ago uh, of Kings and Prophets, which was mm-hmm. supposed to be there. They were they were trying to have a, our answer to HBO's Game of Thrones, and we'll do this. And it was, they, it was so, so messed up. Um, <laughs> there's no cultural respect, no, no real love for this story or these characters. It was just an obvious... Attempt to kind of play on the Game of Thrones hype, which is great. I love Game of Thrones, um, but yeah, they did a good job. They've done movies. Uh, there was a TV show made in 2009, I think, by NBC. It was just called Kings, and it was um, Mike, Michael Green, who I think was behind Lost, 
and he he wanted to do it as a modern show, like mm-hmm. almost like a modern type fantasy. So it looks like the United States, but they have a monarch named Silas, who's King Saul. Saul. David is a, a young soldier named David Shepard, whose mom is named Jesse, and he falls in love with Princess Michelle. Um, Jonathan is is Sebastian Stan, the Winter Soldier. Mm-hmm. That show I thought was actually a pretty good, pretty good show in terms of dealing with these characters as humans, and in terms of taking some of the like ancient truths and putting them in a modern context, and realizing like, oh, the, these stories don't go away because. They're, the stuff you see in them is so true and still so relevant to human nature and the human condition that this story is going to get remade over and over and over again. It's never going to go mm-hmm. away. So what drew you to the character of David in the first place then? I think... Um, as Flannelgraph? A, yeah. Flannelgraph. Oh, yeah, you know. <laughs> With nothing, his little nothing, Yeah. Nothing to inspire a child like the idea of uh, ancient <laughs> child soldiers cutting off adults' heads. Um, <laughs> Power to the children! <laughs> I, but uh, no, I actually think that was it. I think there's an idea that, that kids have when they when they read about the story of David and Goliath, which is usually the first story kids always hear um, about David. And it, it's something that's empowering to children, the idea of, oh, like I can, I can do something that's important to God and it's important to everyone and all these adults around me, even though I'm, I'm really young and a kid. And there probably is also this... <laughs> You know, at the, at the core of the story of David and Goliath, it's about a child killing an adult. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. maybe maybe there's something in there that kids kind of enjoy that a little bit. I don't mm-hmm. know. But, uh, yeah, I think I think just as a kid, the David and Goliath story really drew me to the idea of a, a young person could still matter. Yeah. I read a book. Um, I want to say it was called A Tale of Three Kings. I love that book. Yeah. I, that's, one of my, that's my favorite book Edwards? about David. Mm-hmm. And that book really opened my eyes to the narrative mm. of um, the three kings are uh, Saul, David, and then Absalom, his son. Right. And I had never, because the books are so long and you also have to deal with chronicles in the middle of it, <laughs> yeah. it's like hard to really get the story out there without a little help. And that was the first book that I read that really helped me get interested. But then... I saw what you were writing, and I was like, "Here's a guy that appreciates it even more than I do." So, yeah, that yeah. I have that book, and it was. There are definitely moments where I've just like read that, like certain parts in the beginning where David's dealing with Saul, and it's talking about just the loneliness he must have felt, and like how how awful it was to mm-hmm. have like the entire country that you'd been fighting for just kind of like overnight. Just yeah. they must have just thought and said the most awful things about him, and just to feel that alone, like you go from. This kid who suddenly you had everything he must have wanted growing up as a poor kid, and now he's in a cave with all these people chasing him and saying all these lies about him. Like it must have just must have been awful. And and he really captures that yeah. the nonviolent kind of response of David to Saul's yeah. cruelty. Really, so none of that was in the flannel graphs. So yeah. let's actually rewind a second. Yeah, because I honestly I think the majority of people uh, probably listening, and the majority of people in most American churches don't know much of the story of David other yeah. than he wrote Psalms. And he killed Goliath. And he killed Goliath. Yeah. And then he did that weird thing with Bathsheba, which we can talk about at Man Camp every year for our mm-hmm. churches. And then right, beyond yeah. that, it's like they don't they don't dive into the in between spaces. Yeah. So after David kills Goliath, take us on like a brief semi brief narrative of like what's the next step? Because it doesn't go well for very long. <laughs> <laughs> no. Um, so right after he kills Goliath, he's he's coming home, 
And uh, there's actually a moment that I think is very, very important. And I, I'm not going to go through every little moment, but there, there's a certain ones I do want to hit that I think people people sometimes overlook because they maybe they just read it quickly or they, they read it with modern eyes instead of like learning the ancient kind of meaning. And there's a moment where the women come out and they're singing about like this victory. And then they say like, oh, Saul has slain his thousand and David is 10,000. It's a sarcastic, almost political joke that this Goliath slaying is so meaningful and powerful and, and like, whoa, like a kid just killed like one of the Philistine giants. And it, it almost turns into like a satirical news story for the public that Saul gets turned into a kind of political cartoon about it. And a lot of people describe like what happened with Saul and David as, oh, Saul was jealous of David over this. The Bible never says he was jealous. It never once uses the word jealousy, as far as I can remember. It always used the word, he was afraid of him. And I think that's a, something that people need to understand, is that oftentimes when someone's coming after you or when someone is like just turning on you, it's not usually... A lot, of, a lot of moms will say, oh, honey, they're, they're just jealous of you because you're great and they just want what you have. I tend to find that with most bullies or with most people that are, like, conflicted about others, it's usually because they're afraid of them. It's because they have something they that they, they're scared that's going to get taken away from them or they're, they're scared that because of them, other people are going to treat them differently. Like, I, I tend to think that if you, you want to understand Saul and you want to really, like, have a good character discussion... Talk about what fear does to a person. Because the number one like theme that keeps coming up in Saul's life is fear. And do you think mm-hmm. Saul was fearing of what David would become, taking his place? Or I th- Yeah. I think that he was scared of power changes in the Middle East, ancient Middle East as they happened. Yeah. That, oh, the new guy's going to be king. I mean, guess what happens? Well, he's got to kill all of us now. Because yeah. that's the only way we seem to know how to deal with power. I mean, I, I was actually... I just took a class in the history of Iraq and Iran um, this past semester, and it was a great class. Uh, we had an incredible teacher, and we – excuse me. We're drinking, we're drinking craft beer, and I'm getting burpy here. <laughs> but, uh, boy, this sounds like so not at all professional. <laughs> like, let me just talk about this class we had. Sorry, drinking alcohol. Um, but we uh, – Part of the podcast. <laughs> Don't dog it. Yeah. This is fun, guys. Um, actually, I do love this. Thank you. Yeah. Um, so – we talked all about the Mesopotamia and all these powers. King David and Solomon were actually meant like we, they were they were a test answer and one of the tests I think. Like, and you notice all the power changes of the ancient Mesopotamian empires, whether it's like in Babylon or Persia, they're all bloody. Like this yeah. is just how the ancient world worked in terms of power shifts and kingdoms and, and monarchies and empires and stuff. So when they have suddenly shifted as a nation to having a like a tribal-based rule with, like, maybe a judge heads, a judge leadership at certain points. Um, why should they expect a mo- their monarchy to be any different? Yeah, yeah. But David seems to realize that once I, once I drop assassination into the idea of the monarchy, I'm screwing myself over, too, because I'm now setting the standard of, well, whoever wants to be the next king kills the guy. So, so David is always very, very cautious about doing that. And I think Saul was afraid of people loving David, and and therefore he won't be loved. Mm-hmm. I think he's afraid of David taking a aggressive power and killing him because that's that's what Saul tried to do. Mm-hmm. He tried the second he sees oh someone's threatening my power, he tries to kill them. Why should he? Why should he not think David would? And that do was the really, same? what was going on around them as right. well. Right, that was the world they knew. Yeah. yeah. So I think he was really afraid. I also think he was afraid 
partly of God. And he saw like, he saw God with David. He just knew and he knew that he didn't have that anymore. And as the fear of, I'm not just fighting a kid, I'm fighting my own, my own spiritual kind of demons, so to speak. So, okay. So Saul, uh, chases David out of the kingdom. Um, David's on the run for, uh, much of his twenties. And then, uh, eventually Saul is killed along with his son, Prince Jonathan, David's friend at the battle of Mount Gilboa. David takes control of the throne of Hebron and Judah. Israel still does not recognize him because Saul's son Ishbosheth has survived. A civil war Say that occurs. Name again, Ishbosheth. There you go. Is it right? Did I, yeah. Did I mess it up? No, it, I think it's better than you do. Yeah. Something like that. How do you spell that one? No. Uh, <laughs> no. <laughs> Actually, I'll try to spell it. since I already sidetracked you, there is a really cool element of the story that um, we kind of skipped over real quick. Mm-hmm. While he's on the run from Saul, he joins the Philistines. Yeah. And, and who are the Philistines, for those who don't know? The big bad wolves of the ancient the Near Eastern. Yeah. yeah. They were actually a part of a group of people we believe were called the Sea Peoples. So there was a lot of... Um, and this is actually something else I, I kind of learned in the class. I was like, oh, this kind of makes sense why why a lot of the Far East power left David alone or left that kingdom alone in those in the early years of the monarchy. Because you've got sea peoples coming in. We're not fully sure where they came from. Some think it may have been like a mixture of Egyptian or Greek. Some kind of like, you know, ancient Phoenician. tribal. Yeah, possibly that too. And there's definitely different different like waves are hitting different parts of that that coastline. So up in Egypt, they had they had like, I don't think they had Philistines. I think they had something like Phoenician or something like that. But along like the, is- the Israel coast, you do get this Philistine force, but they're all part of like the same sea people's group. Yeah. They're almost like invaders and, and their goal was to keep going East. They think. So when you have a hard line around Israel, you have this one little tough, rugged King who's holding them all out. The, the far East kingdoms of Persia and Babylon are like, great. Let them, <laughs> let's leave them alone. Well, like you're doing all right yeah. in there. Little so guy. <laughs> I think that part of, I think the part of the reason they may have left yeah. them alone during those years was one, maybe they didn't have enough power to try for a long invasion into those lands yet. But also, I think they just wanted, you know what? Like, he's doing the job we had to do. Let's just leave him alone. I think so. That may have been part of why we don't see activity in those in that time frame of the... Of the Empires. The mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, the Philistine, he, he was yeah. a little bit of a spy. Yeah, so he played both sides of the war. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you brought up a detail in our notes, because, yes... We, we I feel notes. like we have to mention it every time, but we sort of have notes well, when we go into Our these. dirty secret is Dan usually writes up all the notes, and I look at them <laughs> 10 seconds before we go live. And then Mike that, did, that did happen. Yeah. It really did happen. I can tell you it was the guest. It's true. I can confirm. But, Paul yep. doesn't read the notes. <laughs> <laughs> but Mike wrote the notes this time, pretty much. Yeah, he did. He, um, he beat me to it, and I was just like, I don't have a whole lot to add to this. This is good. But one of the details is while David is out, um, playing Philistine, but not really hurting his people. That's the brilliance of it, is he yep. is reporting back to the Philistine king, saying that he's doing running these missions, but he's mm-hmm. actually killing off Philistine yeah. camps. Yeah, and Amalekites, yeah, too. And yeah. Amalekites. So he's doing the work of Israel mm-hmm. as a Philistine general. Yep. Um, really crazy stories. Just amazing stuff. But one of my favorite early scenes of David's life is he grows his beard out, shows up at the gate oh, yeah. of the Philistines, spitting and drooling in his own beard, 
probably defecating himself, he has to convince the king that he's insane. <laughs> and that's just like a part that never ended up in my flannel graphs as a kid. I felt so gypped. we got to make new flannel graphs. Yeah. There's, just, there's so much about this guy's life in there. I mean, the details, almost like sometimes you feel like it's week by week you're getting what happened in like mm-hmm. a year of his life. And I was like, this is like, they just, they loved this guy. They could not stop like writing and talking about him. Yeah. Yeah, those stories, you, when you find these gems of literature within the Bible, you feel gypped that you were never told them right. <laughs> as yeah. a kid. Like, that's how I felt well, time and time again with David. One of my favorite things that I've actually only recently thought about with, with that whole time of life, because I agree, it's one of those really interesting time periods that no one seems to, like, stop on. And uh, maybe because it's just uncomfortable and they're like, oh, he's lying and he's deceiving and he's pulling off all this espionage and killing just whole groups of people, leaving no villages alive so they can't find any remains. Like, that, that, people don't necessarily like that yeah, in, right. in, a, in a modern American culture. But um, one thing I think is really interesting is when they finally get the call to go into battle. And uh, the Philistines are like, all right, we're going to go have this major battle with the armies of Israel. Mm-hmm. And his, his king tells him, you're coming with. And David's like, okay. Like, and I, I don't know what he was thinking at that point. Like, how am I going to do this? They ask him to stay in the rear. My guess is he wanted to stay in the rear and crush the Philistines in between him and the rear and Saul and Jonathan in the front. That's what I think his goal probably was going to be. Philistine government was made up of a system of five kings. One king, Achish, and that might even be just their word for king. We're not sure. Um, One king is, is cool with him. The other four are like, oh, no, 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 no. We're not having... That that Hebrew warlord of yours come around. We we know the stories about this guy. Like you can't like no, he's been great. Like no 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 no. Like we don't trust him. Send him back. Uh, and it's interesting that if he was killing off Amalekite camps, and then the second he's gone, and Amalekite raiders show up and and waste his spot to pull him away, I've often sometimes wondered if the Philistines planned that. They planned for the Amalekites to come right as he you know. Um, oh. But like almost counterintelligence yep. right now. Like they finally figured him out. Yeah, like, like some of them some of them are that. sending him back. But then if he's being sent back and he goes back and finds his home village burnt, the women and children have been kidnapped, the men are it's probably one of the darkest days of their lives. The men are ready to stone him, he doesn't know what to do. I think he was wrestling it in that moment of um, Abigail or Jonathan. Because he knows that the Philistine forces are going against Israel. He was going to be in the rear to stop this. But now he's not there to protect them. So he knows if he say, those guys are going to that battle without his secret support, they could all get wiped out. He knows that. He also knows that his wife, well, two of his wives, Abigail and another woman he was married to, as well as all the women and children of his men, they've been kidnapped by these horrible, horrible raiders, probably be sold into slavery or worse. And he's got to make that choice. Who do I really go save? Do I go back to the do battlefield? Do I go back and save my friends on the battlefield, Saul and Jonathan? Or do I go save my family, my family yeah. and then all my men's family? So in a weird way, I think he was terrified that he was letting Jonathan die. When he went after them, I think that was one of his subconscious fears that he was about to... That David always wondered, did I, is Jonathan's death my fault? So for those of them, for those of the listeners who don't Jonathan know... Because Jonathan did die in that battle. He did. Yeah. For those of the, the listeners who don't know the characters in the story, you've mentioned Abigail, you've mentioned um, yep. Jonathan. So what, what's the dynamic between David and the characters that you've been mentioning? 
Jonathan was the crown prince under Saul. So Saul was the king. Jonathan was the crown prince, his firstborn son, who was expected by all society to be the next king after him. Um, and Jonathan ends up kind of not wanting to pursue his own crown and wants to see, definitely seems to want to give, give it to David. Tells David, like, one day you will be king after me. I'll be right there by your side. Jonathan's much older than David, though. I think sometimes people both think of them as young men. Jonathan would probably have been maybe 30, 20 years at least older than David. Um, so he was, I think he was more kind of like the big brother that David never had, because Eliab probably would have been a lot older than him too. Um, Saul was maybe the dad he never had, and Jonathan's maybe like the big brother he never had, mm-hmm. kind of really. Because he was always out in the field. Right, and the yeah, only the interaction we have with them <laughs> yeah. is the, them just kind of trashing him. Yeah, <laughs> day yeah of that's the, true. Yeah. Day of Goliath. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so he was obviously very close to Jonathan, looked up to him, and... We definitely think that Jonathan like helped train him maybe a little bit in military arts. Mm-hmm. Um, as for Abigail, she was kind of his. Uh, I would say his his kind of uh, com- re- re- how do I say this? <laughs> I think Just he he, 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 he refound love with her. Yeah, he refound yeah. love with her. Um, yeah, his first wife was Saul's daughter, Michal, and then they get divorced because Saul divorces them. So he was a David was a divorced man. I think sometimes. We, so Saul gets pissed off with him and says, mm-hmm. um, "Yeah, once he's you outlawed, you don't have my daughter anymore." Well, I just read that story the other day as we were reading up for this, but um, it's kind of her fault. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so McCall, McCall, not fully, but um, kind of puts a liver, which I don't know how the liver jiggles or whatever, but she puts like she puts, she puts cadavers in a bed. Oh yeah, and they, she puts they jiggle in the bed, yeah. like somebody's. Breathing asthmatically, and there's goat hair. Yeah, and there's goat hair on it. So she fools really bad hair. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Saul sends a battalion to go capture David and kill him. Um, They show up, and she says he's sick. They report to Saul. Saul says, "I don't care that he's sick. Bring him here." They go back, and she says, "Well, he's sick. Look." And then they rip off the blankets, see that it's just animal body parts, and. So then when they bring her to Saul, Saul says, why would you lie to me, my daughter? And mm-hmm. she's like, oh, well, he, how, I had to do whatever he said. He was going to kill me. So <laughs> yeah. she brought the divorce kind of on herself. So, yeah. yeah. In a, you know, you feel bad for her because she's seen yeah. her, her dad's a murderous, he know, killed her. insane man. He would probably maybe would have killed her. He, Threw a spear at Jonathan, yeah. like or only like a like a chapter later. So she, there was obviously a violence in their family. Yeah. Um, fear does. So yeah, um, but uh, yeah, you so feel bad McCall, for her. Sorry, she's, she no, but she bravely helps him escape. I mean, it, sh- it says very specifically that she loved him. Mm-hmm. Never technically says that David loved her back. It's he desired to be her husband, but it specifically she loved him. It says that very clearly, mm-hmm. and. Uh, so when troubles come, she figures out how to get him out of a house. I mean, she's a smart girl. She's a great girl. Mm-hmm. And then uh, creates this whole ruse. And then the second of moment of truth comes, she says, oh, he tried to kill me. Which I understand is, is she's, she's trying to save her neck. But at the same time, she's also 
anyone who hears that story now thinks of David as like a woman abusing. Yeah. Like, God, oh, he would have killed the princess. Like, what a, like, wow, maybe he is a terrible person, like Saul's saying. Yeah, bad PR for David in Jerusalem. Yeah. So <laughs> I, I get that she's trying to save her neck, but at the same time, she kind of did throw him under the bus a little bit to do it, which gave fuel to the people hunting him. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So she did help him escape, but then she kind of fueled the hunt. It's kind of the propaganda. He, so he tried to kill the princess. Yeah. yeah. Go get him. It really is. Yeah. And Saul probably believed her. Yeah. Well, yeah, he probably would have tried to hurt my kids. Like, he wants to hurt my family, you know? Uh-huh. So, so then Abigail comes in in a weird story. Yeah, so Abigail's story is also she a very sad story for a husband. woman. Basically, every woman in the story of David gets abused. There's lots of yeah. women in the story. I think it has more women than almost any other Old Testament story. And most of them are all like, the women have speaking roles and they have very, very large impacts on the men in their lives. But it's clear, even as, like, if you're a modern reader, if you're an ancient reader, you read this and think, boy, the women sure are treated bad. It's a very clear... Uh, social point that gets made in these in these stories. Um, so Abigail is married to a man who's named Nabal, and it describes him as like a you know drunken fool and a mean man. He's harsh. Um, David's men have been outlaws and kind of like protecting his sheep. And at, come during the big end of the year celebration, where there will be plenty plenty left over to give and be generous with. And his men say, "Look, we're we're starving. We're out there. Like we we've protected your guys. Can you please give it like." Come on, you owe us. Like, we, we were out there protecting your guys. Come on. And uh, he says something very rude to them. Like, no, I'm not going to help you. He makes this nasty little comment about, you know, Saul and him being a runaway from Saul. Clearly, Nabal is pro-Saul. And um, David gets really frustrated and angry, loses his temper, wants to go just kill all the men who pisseth against the wall, as the King <laughs> James puts it. Those wall pissers need to go in David's mind. And... Um, Abigail hears about it. The servants are like, we don't want to tell your husband, but just want to let you know, stuff's about to go down, and it really wasn't, these these guys were actually nice, and we feel bad that he talked to them that way, and so Abigail gets the food together, goes out, gives them the food, and and gives David a very, a very nice speech about um, how she still has hope for him. If If you read what she says, she actually makes an analogy to Goliath, and she's like, God will keep you in his hand just like a sling in a stone pouch. Or a stone in a sling pouch, excuse me. It's a it's a sweet little like oh she like, pull, pulled she some really, threads she's, together. She's written for him, and she know, yeah. she seems to know his story a little bit. Um, and after that, he you know I was like, yep, I, if you had not said this, I would have done something bad. And uh, so then <laughs> Nabal Nabal dies, kind of in a weird fluke, like a week later. Some have seen that that seems a little suspicious, but. <laughs> You know, it never tries to paint David in a good light when he does a bad thing. So, yeah. you know, that is that is one curious fact. Is a lot of things happen to David's enemies that he has nothing to do with, but it always makes it look like it's his fault. And it's kind of like a common theme in the story that sometimes stuff happens and you didn't do it, but it definitely makes you look guilty. Guilty. Yeah. <laughs> but it, but it also never never shines uh, shines away from the moments where he is guilty. So I think that that's like an interesting narrative where it shows the complexity of good decisions and bad decisions and consequences get made that are out of your control, even when you're trying to do the right thing. Um, and sometimes the people who are under your control do their own thing, and then it comes back to you, which is a lot of what government is. Um, so yeah, so then he marries Abigail, and they have a wonderful, happy marriage until he cheats on her. Usually <laughs> <laughs> yeah. puts a damper on things. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> mm-hmm. So what's next, gentlemen? Ugh. 
We should start so, with the notes now. No. Oh, yeah. All, all <laughs> King that, David. Well, <laughs> all that cloak and dagger stuff, um, you put in the notes that there was actually like a CIA study oh, yeah. on that. So I actually I pulled Enlighten it up here. Enlighten us to that detail. That would be pretty sweet. So if you just look up... Uh, oh, you wow, Google, you're really on CIA.gov. I pulled it up. Yeah, if you can pull up CIA.gov, you'll see someone wrote... And I just I just found this because I was, like, Googling, like, King David spies. And, like, like I, I wanted to learn more about, like, the espionage tactics that he used. And it came up in a link. And uh, that or someone had mentioned it in a book. It was this, well, I, I found it through reading. And uh, the CIA did publish a thing in 2004... On on King David and Hushai um, during the the Absalom rebellion, they have yep. a whole they have a whole thing. They published it on like the psychology of what they would have used. Um, it's it just shows that these stories still pass the test of time. That these are narratives that we we find interesting to human um, relationships, how people connect, all this stuff. So if you ever are curious as to, well, are these stories still relevant? You know, the CIA seems to think so in terms of them <laughs> them doing their work. But, yeah, you can look that up. I always thought that was interesting. That is cool. Yeah, Google CIA King David or Hushai. You should find it. Yeah, here we go. Tale of Hushai the Architect. So I'm pulling it yeah. up on my laptop so you can... They have the situation, operations, capture... Oh, wow, they break it down like they a break, real yeah, mission. Yeah, they really break it down like a real mission. Um which okay. it was, wow. you know. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's one thing I do love. Is sometimes you see how intelligent the ancient world actually was. These were not just a bunch of stupid barbarians. These were people with rich cultures, and they were they were fierce fighters. They were tough. These people they were they were farming in the Middle East, you know, and that's what they were living on. <laughs> yeah. These are these are hard people. These are not a bunch of you know pushovers. Yeah. So when David comes back <clears throat> and is able to. There's a little civil war there for a little bit, right? Mm-hmm. Between him and Ishbosheth? Ishbosheth, the youngest son of Saul, and has, I think, one of the most interesting narratives kind of gets stuck in there between the two generals of David's nephew Joab and King Saul's cousin Abner, who was. Uh, Abner was Saul's general, Joab was David's. Both were family to their kings that they were serving. And. Uh, they have a fight, and in the middle of that fight, Joab's youngest brother goes out, goes after Abner in the middle of the battle. And Abner's very clear, I don't want to fight you, kid. Like, you're Joab's little brother. Come on. Like, don't do this. Abner kills him with the butt end of his spear. It goes right through them. So the fact that they describe it that way, is it's obviously graphically unimaginably painful way to die. Mm-hmm. But the fact that it's the butt end of the spear... I think it's an implication that it was an accident that he was yeah. not trying to he wasn't really trying to kill this kid in a fight um, Joab and his brother uh, Abishai the other brother they, they bury their they bury their little brother in their father's tomb their father's implicated was already dead then so now it's just them David then makes a peace treaty with Abner it seems to go great Abner's going to bring people over he offers to bring them a call back after David uh, asks for her um, and he does so. Abner fall, Abner falls through. It's all seeming to actually like oh, David and Abner, who was you know in some ways probably a mentor to David when he was young too, or would have at least known him. They've got the piece together. Then Joab shows up and hears what's been going on, and Joab instantly is not about this. And I, I think it's interesting that Joab's answer to David is, "What you can't like just 
like let him in there. He's just trying to spy. Like you're so stupid. How could you do this? It, Joab's vocally never challenging anything about his brother, but they've given you that story deliberately. They've told mm-hmm. you this is what this was really about. Um, and then Joab calls Abner back for a private meeting, just the two of them, without David's knowledge. And he brings him into a corner of a gate, and he kills him, stabs him. Mm-hmm. And then David finds out, is very angry, but, but, but like, he doesn't do, do anything. What's what he going to do to yeah. his nephews? Yeah, well, yeah. and Joab is really, you know, Joab, I always related to and felt pity for Joab, because Joab mm-hmm. is with David in the caves. Yeah. Joab is with David with the Philistines fighting mm-hmm. against um, the Amalekites and all these other groups. Joab is one of the guys most likely that went out with David um, time and time again and was right beside him. Yeah. And David never takes anything for himself. And here Joab is just like, dude, what is wrong with you? Mm-hmm. You know, and Joab at one point um, wants to run Saul through. They find him sleeping. And Joab's ready to kill him. Yeah. It's Abishai. His brother. Or Abishai, sorry, yeah. yeah. Abishai, they're, 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 they're the two older brothers. <clears throat> but then yeah. David won't let him. He's like, yeah. who am I to kill the Lord's anointed? And anybody there would have said, David, you are the Lord's anointed. Kill him mm-hmm. now. Get yeah. it done with. Get yeah. it done with. And remember who these guys are. This is the ancient Middle East. Like, yeah. what are you doing? we got to kill this guy. If you kill him, you get the power. Yeah. Yeah. God wants you to kill people. But yeah, that's, that's, that's what they believed. That yeah. story of the three brothers, though, is like just so tragic. Yeah, um, I think Joab is easily one of the top, like, top most interesting people in that story. I think really the story revolves around, uh, not including David, but the story really revolves around Samuel, Saul, Joab, and Absalom. Those are the four people that 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 not, not including David. That yeah. narrative really revolves around. The one thing that we I think we miss out in church specifically when we go over these whether it be flannel graph or sermons is the family dynamics and the tension mm-hmm. that come up yeah it's worse than like days of our lives i mean mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah it's really more interesting it's more interesting but <laughs> yeah. that that tension that um when we when you read the narrative if you take your time in doing it you can feel that family tension and that history mm-hmm. that you have i mean because we I guess in the Western world, we kind of read the Bible and we take it in snippets. Like, let's read this story instead of reading it as a full narrative. Mm-hmm. And when you read it as a full narrative, you feel that tension that grows between David and all the other um, characters. Can I? Because you guys are, you know, you guys are both people who lead in church. Why do you guys think, you know, from you know, you're you're a pastor. Like, why do you think that, as someone who wants to teach people this this text this information the values and lessons that come out of it for for faith why do you think that so many pastors actually shy away from digging deeper into the nitty-gritty um if if so many of like the more kind of important lessons are sometimes found there good question thank you good question but you're we're interviewing you yeah no i think it's your podcast i want to know what you guys think i think a lot of it comes from that's not what people want to hear about i mean that's what People don't want to hear. Like I had somebody tell me one time um, that they've always thought that the like the apostles and the Bible, the, the characters in the Bible were perfect and they didn't have any problems and stuff like that. And they yeah. felt like they had to live up to that. And when you start showing the humanity or preaching the humanity of some of the characters, people start to, um, I think, find it discrediting. 
hmm. kind of say, well, those people weren't perfect. Um, what, this is supposed to be the perfect word of God, this narrative. that, uh, And, and okay. all of a sudden, when there's this imperfection that's brought in, because they describe David as a man after God's own heart, yeah. and they, they think of, oh, he had that one slip-up with Bathsheba, and then, then everything <laughs> else was all right. I mean, yeah. they don't want to hear that, or the people don't like to hear the humanity that's found in there, because it gives them... Gives them doubt. Breaks the fantasy. It breaks the fantasy because we learn, like we said before, we learn about David through flannel graphs first. Mm -hmm. I think one of the biggest disservices we do to our young, our kids, is we teach them a sanitized version of the scriptures, Mm -hmm. a sanitized version of the stories. I mean, without ever following it up. Without following it up, it's okay to have the flannel graphs as long as you follow it up. This is bad art. Oh, man. I, hey, like man. I don't know. Right? I don't know. If that's fair. Uh, <laughs> no, but we don't follow up. We, we, yeah. I mean, you 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 can talk to adults who still have the sanitized version of the scriptures, right? right. And when you start, <clears throat> and I think I think maybe most, a lot of pastors get to the stage where they're like, okay, let's actually get down to the nitty gritty of the reality. And then when you start doing that, people are like, whoa, hold on a second here. That's not what I learned when I was younger. There's this perfect way that it works, and you're mm-hmm. telling me it doesn't, and. And I think a lot of pastors, just to be blunt, aren't that good at telling grand narrative stories. Mm-hmm. Mm. They're good at telling their own stories or, like, what happened to them that week because that's kind of how they get through each Sunday. Mm. But I don't think many pastors are theatrical. Hmm. You know, it's and, not so, performance and so they might try. They might try to do a Bible study, like a 12-week process on... David, but it takes a certain skill set to make that story come alive. Challenge accepted. <laughs> Seriously, <laughs> yeah. go for it. It, <laughs> it does. I mean, the skill sets of pastors have to be so varied because yeah. of whatever position they step into. And there's businessmen type pastors, and there's more skilled speaking type pastors. But one thing that is lacking, and we need to find it and tap into it in our churches, is storytelling. Yeah. And I think that even saying that makes people cringe because they're like, this is the scriptures you're talking about. But there's a need for making them come alive right. through storytelling. Absolutely. Yeah. Because it is a grand narrative as well. Yeah. I mean, the, the scriptures contain almost 50% of it as narrative, telling a story. Mm-hmm. But I guess part of it is also that um, I think as preachers and pastors, they like to have a the wrap it up at the end and have this like mm-hmm. nugget that you can take away instead of leaving people dangling and saying well what 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 did you, what 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 can you draw out of this story i mean we 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 tell our kids stories and we ask them questions after the what did you learn what did you find out what did you work out and i think the people in pews get have been accustomed to being told what to think and how to take something yeah and when you start talking about because if you think think of the story of David, the tension inside of his family alone mm-hmm. is perfect to talk to talk to people in the pews about because there's tension in families. I mean, you're not hopefully killing each other, but hopefully. <laughs> yeah, I think that you're totally right that sometimes they'll a pastor could take a situation they're seeing in their church and be like, "Well, I should preach about this issue." You know, that's kind of in the David story there. Yeah, like that. People like that one all. And, and just kind of like taking that one little chapter and then yeah. putting their own projection into it of this little moment in his life must all be about this one little issue and not the other complexities of the other parts of his life feeding into it. Like, let's say if you want to talk about David as, David as a parent 
maybe you have to talk about David and Saul because that was the only kind of parent he really had. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's a good point. That's, but most people don't even know about David, that, though. Yeah, yeah, or they don't even know that David was a bad parent. Yeah, because um, he was a man after God's own heart. If you and they're wanted, not bad parents. If you want to see a really screwed up family, look at David's family. Oh yeah, it's, I mean we're, we're getting there because we're. I mean David. We just talked about David um, taking back unified control of the kingdom, but right. after a couple messy deaths, yeah, including Ishbosheth's, where yeah. again his own generals turn on him. And they and David's like, I didn't ask you to do that. Kind of wanted to make a peace treaty with these guys, and I and then he kills them for it. Um, so yeah, just a bunch of a bunch of dark things that people do in his name that he's never asked them to do, and it always makes. And I think people that's find, politics too. People find conflict um, with the Old Testament and David and sort of like that, and what like Jesus comes out and says, and and people and pastors kind of want to stay away from that. Yeah, that tension and that conflict. And they want to stay away from politics. And mm. looking throughout the Old Testament is very hard not to touch on politics. When, when David is a political character. He's a political character. He's, 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 he's a, he's a, a king. king. Yeah. And he's, he's a, a king. So, yeah. He had to worry about PR. He played multiple sides of different conflicts. I definitely do think that there is a, there's a, little, there's a small critique in the narrative on monarchy. Mm-hmm. Like there is a... I mean, the whole story starts with, we want a king. No, you don't. Yes, we do. We want the system of government. I don't think... And God's like, oh, look, you know, let him have it. And God sees it as a rejection. And it is a spiritual failing to want this form of government yeah. in, in the narrative. So, mm-hmm. so yeah, I, I think you're right. There, there's a lot of there's a lot of little political jabs I mean, in that story. Yeah, and, and it, Certainly social jabs with how the women are treated. Yeah, and you can even take the story of Israel asking for a king and... I mean, we rely so much on governments today, or mm-hmm. we put our faith and trust in governments, and I don't think we shy away from that on some of our topics, but no. we, we kind of proclaim the kingdom of God is far greater than any political power in this world. Yeah. And we sh- people can, I think in the, in the Western church, shy away from it, because politics and the church, one side of politics and church go well together in this country. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but David. <laughs> but this is why this is such a good story because yeah, yeah. it's about everything. This story yeah. is about politics. It's about family. It's sex. about courage. Sex. It's about lots goes, of violence. He goes yes, straight to sex. Yes, Dan. Yes, Dan. Lord. Sex. Did, well, okay. So there's a lot of awkward sex stories in this. I mean, that's why it has to be an R-rated show if they yeah. ever make it into a TV show because. There's just so much that happens along the way. I mean, the way that David wins his first bride is by oh yeah, <laughs> uh, by carving off all these Philistine foreskins, making so, a mountain of foreskins. There's a great line in I, the last the last book I read about David was uh, God Knows by Joseph Heller, who also wrote uh, Catch Twenty Two, <laughs> and he wrote an entire book based on David's perspective. It's it's not his best work, but there are parts of it that are kind of funny. And uh, there's a line that David says in the book where. When he's doing that, he's getting the foreskins. It was something like, at this point, I realized that uh, taking foreskins off of dead Philistines was a much easier task. <laughs> <laughs> just the, yeah, the live ones. Just the idea of, like, they've captured me. What are they going to do? Well, like, no! Nah, just kill him. It'll be easier. Like, it's such a dark, horrible like, reality of that story. But, I wonder, but yeah. so, interesting sub-fact... I, of course, love Josephus because I love history. 
And I was reading up on his take on David. Josephus says that David has to bring heads. Like actual heads. <laughs> so oh, he, <laughs> brought, oh, he brought heads all right. <laughs> Josephus brings it to like a PG-13 level, whereas the Bible, on the other hand, is just like, nope, nope, he was touching penises. <laughs> really? And he was, yeah. yeah. He's taking the skins. And but so who wanted him to do that? Saul. Saul made him do that. Like, to buy like, his yeah. wife. Sadistic. If you want to marry my daughter, foreskins is the price. Yeah. No goats, no chickens. Yeah. It's foreskins. He doesn't even ask for their deaths. He has. I want you to bring that back to me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They want you to get your hands dirty. Are you gonna get? Are you someone who get your hands dirty? Like, <laughs> there's this almost accusatorial tone in the request, yeah. but it's, it's. How do you give your daughter to a guy that just carved off yeah. all these Philistine foreskins? But that's the ancient world. And he brings. He asks. He asks for a hundred. Yeah, he brings back two hundred. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna double what you asked. He was a glutton for punishment or <laughs> something. That or he didn't. That, I, I, I have can't a, count. I, I have a theory. I have a theory he, that he was told he was going somewhere where there's only a hundred, but there was really two hundred. And he, and he still that got fits into the context. And he still yeah. got him. He still it got fits him into home. the context because Saul's trying to kill him. Yeah, and he, he even says in the text that um, Saul thought that he'd give him a task that would get him killed. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's crazy. So when uh, David gets back, takes the unified kingdom and things start to go well for him, um, mm-hmm. he's supposed to go to war. The chapter opens up saying, in the sum- springtime, when kings go to war, and anybody who's been part of a men's Bible study or wild at heart group has <laughs> heard this because <laughs> boredom leads to, yeah. um, in every case, apparently, sexual adultery. Right. So... Um, but it says in the spring when kings go off to war, David was at home on his balcony. Mm-hmm. And that's like a telling statement. It's saying, like, here's a guy who has a place to be and something to do, and he's not doing it. And then, oh, look, my tower's high enough to see all the other buildings around me. And look who happens to be bathing. Mm-hmm. And um, this is like... So if all you read... Or all you heard from your church growing up was the shepherd boy doing these awesome things out protecting the sheep, killing the lion, killing the bear, killing Goliath. And then he, we skip over the political (laughs) um, side and what he had to do to get to where he's at. And all of a sudden he's the king and everything's good. Everything's not good. He's had a really crazy rough road. Yeah, he has. He's already experienced a lot of political dissent and other things at this point. And he's standing on a rooftop and he sees something that looks easy for the taking. And here's a guy who has never given in to those urges before. Mm -hmm. In the sense that he's had plenty of opportunities to take what he wanted by force. And he never has. And now all of a sudden the narrative changes. He takes something he wants by force. He sends for her. What are you going to do when guards show up at your door and say the king has called for you? So he takes a woman, brings her to his lair, um, has his way yeah. with her. A.K.A. the most beautiful palace <laughs> the yeah. there. Yeah. But in this moment, there's a narrative shift. And so going from there, the child that they she finds out she's pregnant, there's a whole um, sadistic send her husband off to war, put him in the front line. Joab plays the role of calling all mm-hmm. the troops back in order to get the husband killed. Other guys got killed in yep. that maneuver, yeah. Yeah. Or that maneuver, yeah. Yep. 
And so they actually retreat, um, have a failed battle in order to get this guy killed mm-hmm. to continue the cover-up that David's trying to weave. Right. And then there's this really dark moment, um, and I'll let you pick it up, but there's this dark moment where God tells David that the firstborn son's going to die. Mm-hmm. I think it's a, a really interesting way that Nathan does it, too. He doesn't... So many times when people... Nathan being the prophet. Uh, yeah, sorry. Nathan is... Uh, he was... We believe he was under Samuel. He was, like, a one of Samuel's trainees and then became David's prophet. Um, Nathan is probably the one who wrote most of this narrative, or at least expounded it to someone um, when they had it originally, I, I'm guessing. Um, but Nathan is... A, I, I love Nathan in the story. I really do. Uh, especially for the way he, you were just talking, I really liked what you said about storytelling. And I think Nathan would share all those opinions that you just had, at least this character. Like he, he starts out with this story and he know he knows who David is and he, he loves him and, and he has this story for him about sheep. And that's when he, when he wants to get, when he wants to get under David's skin, he tells him a story about sheep. He tells him a story about, about kids loving a sheep. And then a, a rich, powerful person taking that away from the kids and, and killing this little sheep. I mean, if you want to emotionally manipulate David, like, that's a story yeah. you got to tell. David the Shepherd yeah. King. And that's yeah. why it's so important because I think it's great what you've said. Of this, David's affair with Bathsheba, it doesn't just drop out of the sky. Like, this is a guy yeah. whose whole life has been building him up to this kind of vulnerability. I mean, you look at how many people, and by this point in the chapter, he's, he's, he's probably in his like 40s or so, how many people has he lost that he loved? He's lost Saul, he's lost Jonathan, he's lost Samuel, he's probably lost his own parents at this point in his life, he's lost uh, all the other kids that he was close with in that royal court, all the other brothers, uh, Ishbosheth. he's lost his the other military mentor he had, he had Abner, he's lost... Like he's just he's had so many people in his life die, and he's lost so much, and he's gotten all this wealth, and he I I think he's having like kind of like one of those midlife crisis moments where it all just finally hits him because remember this is the first time that he suddenly stepped away from war yeah mm-hmm. and that's when it all of a sudden he's out of it everyone else is going to have to die and for the first time he doesn't have to and he needs something and I I, I don't want to. Like share the the specific quote, but I had a military friend who was talking to me about this stuff, and he, we he was like, you know, he he kind of had seen stuff I posted, kind of like you, and he was talking about like, um, why do military men have affairs? And he he was you know he said something that really struck me, and I'm gonna get it wrong, but it was something to the, along the lines of, sometimes like when you go through that much trauma, you just need physical affection without consequences. And it really struck me as to, you know, we, we come down to, he was supposed to be off at war. Maybe the fact that he wasn't was the issue. Not that he was disregarding a responsibility, but the fact the first time in this guy's life he was away from combat and, like, and PTSD maybe just hit him hard and he yeah. just needed some, needed some sex. But the interesting thing is that he has already at this point like six or seven wives yeah. and a bunch of Why yeah, he has a harem? Why of does that? Yeah. But why does a guy like that want that many women? Obviously, there's there's also these political alliances that come with them. But this is a man who it's the thing he, he can't has everything have. Else he yeah. Needs. yeah, it's but the he thing he can't else. have. 
for, for the first time in his life, he has everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He doesn't have that fear. He doesn't have fear of people coming to overthrow him right now. He has everything under control, in yeah. essence. And, but inside, yeah, every, that's the, everything's yeah. finally falling apart yeah. mm-hmm. emotionally. I also think that it's really interesting to point out who Bathsheba is. She's not just anyone. Um, it, it mentions specifically who her father is. But then later, if you look up the father, uh, it lists who his father is. Bathsheba is the daughter of one of David's mighty men hmm. who was in the caves with him, which means Bathsheba actually may have been a child who was born in those caves as a little girl. Right? Yeah, because all their wives. So there's a trend. Wives and yeah. Bathsheba may have been one of the kids who was with them when they were living in the Philistines and actually got taken away, and David came back and saved them. And David's watched her grow up his whole life. So this may, more may, than likely. But, but if you, yeah, not without, he probably doesn't right. know it, though, because he yeah. has to ask, who is that? He doesn't know who right, she is. He doesn't true. like, oh, I've okay. seen. He probably, he probably was like, whoa, that's the little girl that grew up? Like... And maybe she's been attracted to this, you know, man her whole life, subconsciously. I don't know. We don't, we don't really know what, much about what Bathsheba shot the situation. But but it's also really curious as to who her grandfather is. Do you, do you guys know no. who her grandfather is? No. No. Um, her grandfather, accor- well, according to the names, I guess it could be a different name. But the names that are written in, in this and then in, I think it's in Chronicles or Kings that you see it. The mighty man's name is given as her father is this name. And then his father is named as Ahithophel, who was King David's right-hand counselor who betrays him to Absalom. Wow. Oh, wow. And when Ahithophel has Absalom, and, they, and they're in the throne room, and David's like, oh, no, Ahithophel's betrayed me, who was his right-hand man. It says Ahithophel's like the wisdom of God. When Ahithophel and Absalom are in the throne room, and they're like, all right, he's on the run. What's the first thing we want to do? Ahithophel tells him, Here's what I want you to do. I want you to go up to your father's roof, and I want you to go in before all of Israel, take all of his concubines, and go into them all up on the roof in front of the whole kingdom. Then you will have made yourself a stench to your father. Oh, that's so dark. (laughs) So Bathsheba's grandfather turned on David and anger for probably, in his opinion, ruining his granddaughter's life and killing his grandson-in-law, I guess, turns his own helps him turn his own son against him. Both of them angry, saying that David is not just. Remember, Absalom's rallying cry was, there's not justice. Yeah. Yeah. And you know what? Maybe those kind of men <clears throat> had a reason to feel that way. And they and, they, and his, first, his first desire to do is, you go up on that same roof where your dad saw my granddaughter, and you... Do all of his women right there on that roof, and you let everyone know you're doing it. Show yeah. it in front of the whole nation. Now that is a vengeance power move. Yeah, of the darkest <laughs> political oh. nature. Oh man, I know it totally I, gives that story a new. When yeah, you realize I knew that who story. these that's people dark. are. You're yeah. like, that's Bathsheba's grandpa. Yep. Oh wow, that's just crazy. It is. Yeah, because it's, it's genuinely like I what a that so disgusting. Here. <laughs> yeah. How would that well, preach on a Sunday morning? You were, well, it's okay. dark. So, so that's vengeance. And yeah. that might be another reason that stories like this aren't talked about in church very often because how do you tell? I mean, we're probably already on an hour and a half or oh, 55 something. minutes. That's not 55 minutes? Yeah. Okay. So we're doing pretty good. But 
these narratives take time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Years. These are yeah. years. This is his whole life. Yeah. It takes time to explain. It takes time for somebody to learn and study. Like, you've mm-hmm. been at this since you were a kid. Yeah. And um, He's not a kid anymore. Yeah, yeah. he's not a kid. He's 30. One. Just turned 31. 30. I graduated, turned 31, and moved back to JR all the yeah. same week. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. It was an awful week. <laughs> <laughs> he's on his 15th beer right now. <laughs> Not true, not true. No, no, not true. Don't discredit. Only, only two. <laughs> yeah. Um, but there's just so much to it. And then we get to a moment like that and just takes the wind out of you. Um, yeah. Absalom being David's prized son. Because mm-hmm. David has other sons, but the ones from Bathsheba are the ones that he loves. Yeah. And Absalom just, there is always baggage between him and David mm-hmm. the whole time. I have a theory that Absalom really loved and looked up to his father until the Tamar incident and that like and that made it that turned it darker. And the like, Tamar incident was So after well I should we should probably close off the, the Bathsheba yeah, incident yeah, with Uriah. Right. So after David's killed Uriah, Nathan's giving him the sheep story to try to incite David's emotions and his kind of sense of justice again. And David's like, oh, well, the man who, what should be done to the man who did something like that to that little sheep? And David's like, oh, well, that man should die. And, and Moroby should pay four times over for the lamb that he took, four four times over. Uh, and Nathan then says to him, like, you were the man. And, and because of this, the sword will never depart from your house, which is, which is true. Like, violent parents create violent kids, whether they mean to or not. And so the first... Remember, remember, he said four. Do you do you kind of nodding? I think you know where this is going. Uh, the four, the four, uh, the fourfold uh, kind of repercussions. Yeah, the first child that David loses is that baby, mm-hmm. Bathsheba and David's baby, which is never given a name, which maybe means it was it had not been named. The child had not been. David named fasts and prays for weeks. And the second yeah. the baby's yeah. dead, just is like okay, is the baby dead? They're like yeah. Gets up, acts fine. And then, and then they said to him, like, why, why would you act like your baby just died? And he's like, I, I think he says one of the most, like, chilling and sad lines in, like, all the Old Testament. And he's like, you know, when the child was still alive, I thought there was hope. But but now, you know, why should I go on, like, carrying on like this? I will go to him. He'll, he won't come back to me. Then that's, that's, that's a parent's line of, I'm going to go. I'll see him one day. But he can't come back to me. Wow. Like that's a oh, that's a man who's that's a man who's very comfortable with death. Yeah. And he's seen a, he's had seen he's a lot. Seen of a lot it. and he's done a lot of it too. Yeah. Uh so after this now David realizes or like it's the story starts to go downhill. The violence has begun and now it's it's going to keep going. He has the crown prince Amnon Amnon is in, in love with his sister Tamar, who's his half sister. They're all all these kids are from these different wives. So Absalom and Tamar are are true siblings, and Amnon's their half brother. And then uh, Amnon wants to be with Tamar, can't be with her because she's obviously his sister. His little cousin Jonadab comes up with a little plan of how to get Tamar out of the safety of the women that she's in to get her to him alone, only way that's going to happen is through the king. 
no one else can order her to leave her, whether it was called a harem or not, I don't know. But the protection of, like, the women that she was with. The king sends... Amnon pretends to be sick. Please send Tamar to heal me. She does such a good job. I'm sick, daddy. (laughs) Uh, David sends that child, he sends his daughter to him, and... uh, Amnon sends everyone else out, uh, rapes her. It's a very graphic, very uh, like they give they give the dialogue back and forth of what what they're saying to each other when she's begging him not to do this and all this stuff, and he's still doing it to her. It's it says that he overpowered her. It's then it's just such such an awful moment. It's, but it's but they don't unflinch from it. Yeah, you know uh, they they tell they they tell the truth of it, and then when it's done, it says how he turns on her and throws her out, calls her an it. Get th- this thing, get this it out of here. Doesn't even refer to her as a woman or a person anymore. And uh, throws her out. Absalom finds his sister like mourning and carrying on, and he takes her into his house. And he's like, "Oh, like, don't put, don't take this matter to heart." And How but he's <laughs> but he's about to. Yeah, yeah. And I always thought this was weird, where David doesn't. I mean, why do you think nothing happened there? I don't... I, I have a couple of theories, but what... Like, have you thought about... Like, because this is obviously a frustration that everyone comes to in this story. Like, why did nothing happen to Amnon? What are, yeah. you, what are, you, what are your thoughts? <laughs> I think... Well, okay, so reading that, you get so... By the time you are just ticked off... Yeah, you are so angry. The author has yeah. you so mad about what yeah. happened to this girl. justice doesn't happen. Mm-hmm. Well, I feel like the anger should start before. What kind of father doesn't see the perversion... Of his son. Because mm. it describes the perversion as being a long-term thing. This is this is welled up over a long period of time. It's not like one day. Si- he said he was looking yeah, sick. Yeah, he, like, didn't, he didn't like walk in on her in the shower and decide to take advantage. This is like he has made himself ill with desire. This has happened over time. And like how can David not see that? How can David not say, no, you can't be with any woman, let alone my daughter. And then David sends him, sends her like a sheep to the slaughter. Mm-hmm. And then there's no repercussions, n- no justice. Yeah. Which is why Absalom can make that rally cry. Yeah, he really can. With conviction. He, yeah, he had it. I, I think David felt torn between between two really tough truths that he was facing. One... He he just lost a baby. I don't think he's ready to just suddenly execute his first baby. Yeah. You know, like I don't think any parent wants to do that. I mean, he's he's refused. He and even like when Absalom's ringing an army, he's like, oh, by the way, in the middle of the fight, please no one hurt Absalom. Like this is a guy who doesn't <laughs> want his kids hurt. Yeah. You know. And in all fairness, yeah. In all fairness, like why would he? I mean, look at yeah. look at what he's seen of parents and children fighting each other his whole life. He he saw it. You know, he doesn't. He's probably one of those people who I will never be like Saul. I will never try to hurt like the younger people in my life and the children in my life the way he tried to hurt me or maybe his brothers and his father hurt him in some ways. But he's definitely like uh, on the other extreme of that. But at the same time, I think it's I think it's maybe also a lesson about maybe the challenging justice situations of these stories. Like you, the you're told the narrative. You're told how bad it was and what happened to her. But how do they prove that in a court of law is maybe part of the issue. Like, and yeah. this, I talked to my dad about this because we were all one time at dinner, like talking about this as a family. And <laughs> good, my, yeah, and all me and all my sisters were like, "This he should have done it." And my dad is sitting there like, "Well, what what could he have like? How could he have proved that it happened?" 
it it says everyone it's very clear on the circumstances of what happened which means that there probably was a legal discussion happening about this story everyone had left the room they were alone he overpowered her which maybe means that she couldn't have cried out for help how do they, they there was no like csi well, to like show just legally even how could they have who how could they have proved what happened a woman's any, word in court at this time was not valid without a witness you, and there you go and yeah. there's the other there's the other little social jab yeah. that it tosses in there a little about. bible nerd fact look at what we're, look at how we as a country are treating our women she can't yeah. look at this horrible thing that happened to this woman and we can't get justice for it yeah so, so I think there was a challenge between maybe David didn't know what to legally do, because like, I, yeah. how does he prove that? Well, you there's know, how also how does he prove that what's yeah. happened? What's the what's the slope? But also, that's his son. Does he really want to execute or do something to his own son? There, there's that, and there's that flaw in David of uh, I don't want to. I don't want to hurt my kids. I don't want to hurt my little sheep. Mm-hmm. Uh, even though like something had to be done about that, like you can't just yeah. let, you can't just let that go. The other reality of ancient Middle Eastern uh, monarchies is that mm-hmm. the children are generals, mm. so you've got potentially a civil war right. hinging on this event. Mm. You know, if if David takes a side, then he has effectively cut off some of his kingdom. Hmm. Because each of these sons is going to have their own demographic that they appeal to, or their yeah, own, and they do. Yeah, they have their own soldiers. They have their own. Um, we'll just call it political party in a sense. No, that's and, pretty. That's that's yeah. actually not inaccurate. Yeah. yeah, and so these sons. So if David picks a side in the matter and says, "Well, we're going to take the word of the woman who doesn't have a witness, which can't hold up in court," and I'm going to go that route. Well, then um, he has to side with um, Absalom and his daughter over and against the law. Right. And if he goes with his son who's saying, like, look, you know, she was alone, she's moody, uh, you know, maybe he throws out some degrading comment about what time of month it is for her. Yeah. Whatever it is that he says. Yeah, we don't know what Amnon Yeah, we have no idea what he said to convince the people to get off his back. But all David can think of is, like, under the laws we have, I can't prosecute. If I do this, it's a civil war. Yeah, as what's what's clear about the story is that there was a clear injustice. What's not clear is if they really knew how to solve it. And then it even just shows you, well, the, the law has limits. Yeah, justice has limits sometimes, and and that's like what's so horrible about the story is that like that woman never really gets justice. Amnon then is murdered by Absalom. Who doesn't speak for his brother to two, for two years, and then wants to get again? Someone is, wants a child is going to be threatened by another sibling, and the only way this the child can be reached is to get the father to send him somewhere to get him out of protection. So the same thing happens to, to Tamar, in some ways happens to Amnon. Absalom's like, oh, can you send? Like, you can't come to my shepherding feast. Can you send? Uh, can you send Amnon in your stead? <laughs> So David once yep. again sends a lamb to the slaughter, sends a child out to danger, and Absalom takes him down. So in essence, he almost becomes like Saul mm. because he's putting the children in danger and bringing harm to them. I think he became like Saul when he was willing to kill one of his own loyal men, yeah, just to get just because he was afraid. Yeah, again, he was afraid the scandal's going to come out. They're going to know I'm the dad. Oh no, no, no! So he's afraid. 
of what a, what a, one of his young, talented, loyal soldiers could do, so he killed him. Yeah. Sad story about David and Saul is that David did a better job being Saul than Saul did. Hmm. Saul wow. never. Kept Saul could never him. kill. Saul could never kill David. David kills Uriah first try. Yeah. Dang. Yeah. And that's why Nathan Nathan brings up Saul when he's like, I gave you Saul. all the stuff Saul had. Like, he he clearly wants him to suddenly, like, in this moment where you've just killed one of your own men, can I bring up Saul to you real quick? Like, there's a clear <laughs> there's a clear analogy he makes when he brings up that name. So how do, how do you, or do you wrestle with the description of David being a man after God's own heart with the narrative? Because the narrative, oh, what does that even look like then? If somebody, if they describe David as a man after God's own heart, yet he is capable of such evil. Well, it makes perfect sense if you only read the Psalms. <laughs> no, <laughs> right? But yeah, if you like, only read the Psalms, you hear you, yeah. you have his confession. You have him <laughs> yeah. like yeah. But I mean, because that's what people look at when they say David. Oh, he was a man after God's own heart. And again, the this the overarching little. Parts of the story that get preached on, and the, and the mess Jewish between. Hebrew people are going to be wishing and hoping for another Davidic king. They want somebody like David for yeah. the next multiple thousands of years. I mean, to this day, the Messiah that's supposed to come within Orthodox Judaism is going to be like a Davidic king. That's the prophecy. I mean. So it's kind of weird that he can't build the temple. With how much uh, grit we've been digging up, it almost seems weird to say that. But that's part of that's part of the belief is that a descendant of or a Davidic type king will once again rule. And I will say this, kind of in David's defense, a little like as much as we've brought up some flaws in his life. I mean, given everything that happened to that man, human nature would have taken him to a much darker, evil oh, yeah. place. Like. You know, I, I think that given all the world he was living in, the culture he was in, the things he experienced, he was a pretty tame human. Um, he didn't. He killed one time out of a panic to to cover up a scandal, but he never like he never killed Saul. He never killed people unless they were his like physical enemies in a in a you know war. Mm-hmm. Even with the mistakes he made as a parent, they weren't. You know, he wasn't beating up his kids and abusing them. Like he was making mistakes, but they were they were mistakes. You know, all parents make mistakes, yeah. and his just happened to be a little bit more fatal because of the nature of his kids and the um, nature, nature of the, and the nature of the world they were living, living in too. In, yeah. yeah. Um. So you can't you can't just say like, oh, everything in their lives happens only because of David. That's yeah. not that's not fair. <laughs> right. Uh, Absalom true. had other influences in his life, including yep. Ahithophel, including Joab. Who actually comes into conflict with Absalom kind of early uh, in the return? Mm-hmm. Um, he's the one that brings him back, but then he's also the one that gets. <laughs> well, we should. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, I think that David had a he had a human heart, maybe the most human like heart in the whole biblical narrative, like where oh, he man. actually remains human. He doesn't go to a subhuman place and stay there. No. It's yeah. like he yeah. always yeah. retains his humanness yeah. through the whole narrative. And That's what I started thinking about when you started saying that and then you just you just brought it out. But yeah, he remains human, which is more than what can be said about many people or characters. Yeah. 
Yeah. And, and then he's at, a fleshed out towards the end of his life too, he recognizes that he has done way too many violent things to be the person qualified to build a temple. Yeah. And I think that's telling too of his heart and acknowledging that he's been a product of his world. And how much I mean, like you said, the product of his world, we don't understand. We don't have a good comprehension of what that yeah. world was like. Yeah. I mean, we don't have those conflicts. We don't have that need, specifically in this country, when you have democracy and elections, you're not having people kill people for power. Yeah, we are. Um, as obviously <laughs> as... Yeah, we are. As have you heard of the Illuminati? <laughs> <laughs> there's, a, there's a quote I love uh, from Jonathan Hirsch, or I'm sorry, Jonathan Kirsch. Um, uh this, this is so you asked me do I think that King David is still a man after God's own heart yes I think he was still a very good good man and I think the core of where his heart was with, was with God is seeing the Psalms I, th- I think there's kind of and this is what I think is interesting about David is I don't think okay this is <laughs> let, me, let me read the quote first then, then can I rant for just a second yeah. alright so here's the quote King David is a symbol of the complexity and ambiguity of human experience itself above all David illustrates the fundamental truth that the sacred and the profane may find full expression in a single human life, and his biography preserves the earliest evidence of the neurotic double-bind that is hardwired into human nature and tugs each of us in different directions at once. Against every effort of Bible-waving moralizers who seek to make us better than we are or make us feel bad about the way we are, the biblical account of David is there to acknowledge and even affirm what men and women really feel and do. Indeed, the life story of David, as we find it in the book of Samuel, offers the earliest and longest enduring definition of what it means to be a human being. That's really good. I love that quote. But I think I think that that's the kind of the truth of, like, why is there so much about David that we love, so much that we're discouraged by, that we're, like, you know, war- that we use as a warning... I think it's because he is really, in some ways, three natures kind of striving. I think most people, you're not you're not just you know the person who is your parents' child. You're also your sibling's brother. You're also your wife's husband. Like there are so many different roles in society and in life, and then that even start playing into your own psychology that you play. That it's sometimes hard to know who the real you is. Yeah. And with David's life, I think since we have such a full and you know fully fleshed out biography of him, we start seeing that there are really multiple aspects to who David is and how they start affecting. There's 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 always the shepherd, like that that is something that almost kind of universally in his life, the shepherd nature of I've got other people, I've got a, like I've got other lives to be responsible for, like that doesn't go away. One of the last things he says in the in the whole like narrative of his life is when he, he sees like this plague coming against all the people and he, and he goes and cries out to God. He's like, please like take me, take me and my family. But these sheep, what did the sheep do? It's on me. He calls them sheep. Yeah. He calls his people as sheep. Like this guy, <laughs> this is how he thinks of his whole, like he'll all, he'll never let go of the, the boyhood David. Yeah. There's always still a little boy in him who's still a shepherd. So when you come to, do you want to kill Saul? Like, no, the little boy never wants to kill Saul. Like Saul's his big, his hero is is his other dad. Uh, the little boy never wants to hurt his other kids because there's still a little boy shepherd that's always going to be inside of him. And and there, there's also this like deeply passionate, like 
just totally in love with God person that comes out in the Psalms. You see it. He argues with God. He, he loves God. He praises God. Everything in his life he thinks has to do with who God is in his life. When he gets to just celebrate the one, the one great day of triumph in his life, when they have the ark and they're finally a people and the full promise of Moses and Joshua finally happened in their generation where they got the land. He's naked down. Just, just whoever I am, just naked me and you. Like, that's all he wants. Like... Uh, and then there's the military David, who's just cold, cunning, ruthless, like, c- can kill and fight anything and figure out how to kill it. Uh, can kill a whole city and then lie about it. Yeah. Well, it, it talks to the complexity of the human condition or the human person. I mean, right. we're not just this one, we're not one thing. We, we're so multifaceted. Yeah. I'm not just Mike, the guy who is really, uh, you know, unhealthily obsessed with Kate David. I'm also, other things? Yeah, I'm also, I'm also like a, I always think of myself as a journalist. I'm yeah. someone who's seeking truth, and I want answers, and I want to know humans, and I want to know human mm-hmm. nature. I'm also a brother. Like, I got to tell you, uh, there was a long period in my life where the only, the part of the reason that I liked this story was, I really understood Absalom. There's a big part of me that feels that anger and that injustice about things that happened to your sister because I felt that. I think that's part of how I finally figured, like, started to realize the depth and complexity of the story. That oh, Absalom's bad, but he's right. Yeah, he, he's the bad guy right now. But I yeah. side with Absalom. But I like I know what it's like to want to really hurt the people that hurt your family. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, I'm. We're all more than just. One thing, but I think the the thing that eventually makes David get the title of now he is a man after God's heart, which which anyone can be. It's mm-hmm. not just David. Yeah, like um, I think Paul was a man after God's heart. I think Peter was a man after God's heart. Yeah. You know, um, I think Joseph certainly. Um, I think I think it just goes back to the idea of what was Israel. The name Israel was given to Jacob after he wrestled with God. I'm not going to let you go until you bless me. Someone who's willing to get in like a punch fest. <laughs> With God, someone who's yeah. not gonna. And I, I've been thinking about this recently. Is that the, the idea of the identity is you just you're someone who just doesn't give up on pursuing God, mm-hmm. and even if it's a fight, you're still you're still there together. And even if it's a even if it's a you know a bad day, you're still there. And if it's a good day, you're there. Saul's great thing is that he's just done. He walks away. And then he starts killing priests. Yeah, Saul was clearly a king mm-hmm. who was anti. I don't want to say anti-religion, but but he was. He was definitely a, a non, non-spiritual, um, he had no value in, in the spirit. He was very much yeah. a Middle Eastern, like, no, we just got to kill to get what we want, do this. Yeah. And then when he loses it, he starts obsessing over it. And eventually he's, like, turning to witchcraft, which, yeah, weirdly enough, worked. Yeah, 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 like, they got thing. Samuel, like, what in the world? Like, this way this works? Like, oh, well, hold on, what they do? Like, that, that's the weirdest part in the yeah. whole narrative, those, like, David has almost no supernatural things happening. For an Old Testament story to have almost no supernatural, like, necessarily yeah. things happen, and then all of a sudden, there's, there's, like, one thing at the end with a plague, but... But then, like, to have a ghost story in the middle of, like, <laughs> at the end of First Samuel, like, what is this? Yeah, Which Sa- is why they Samuel think goes Macbeth, to the Witch of Endor. Macbeth, yeah. Part of Macbeth is based on the life of King Saul, they think. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, there's a lot of Shakespearean. Uh, Shakespeare draws a David. lot. Yeah. There's a lot drawn from David. So, yeah, the, the story you're referencing, the crazy ghost story, is. <laughs> So Saul, I don't know. Saul we have outlaws. No idea. 
Saul trying to be a good Yahwehist, um, devout devotee of the one true God, outlaws witchcraft. So they all go into the hills. They're hiding in caves. But Paul apparently isn't enforcing this very strongly because he knows exactly where to find a witch. And so he goes to There's her. There's a rumor that it, they're, they're, to like some Jewish myth, it's supposed to be Abner's mother. Oh, oh wow. weird. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I don't know. Like I a have Jewish no midrash or yeah, whatever? Yeah, something like that. Weird. It's supposed to be Abner's mother. And that's how, that's how Abner knew where she was. Oh, that's crazy. Abner was hiding her from Saul. Oh, wow. <laughs> so, yeah, plot twist. We don't know. Right. Like, you know that's not the narrative, but it's... Yeah, it's some the Jews are more willing to make those stabs in the dark than we yeah. are about yeah. ancient texts. Well, they have other <laughs> weird things yeah. about David that I'm like, yeah, no, he didn't. Yeah. Come on. like. So there's this interesting moment, though, where Saul goes in and he's looking for answers... And he can't connect to God. Mm. You know, him and God, they don't talk. So he goes to try and find the one guy that used to be able to talk to God on his behalf. And he kind of raise him from the dead. Yeah. yeah. You got him yeah. to do one last thing for me. Why did you wake me? <laughs> like, are you kidding me? Why did like, you bring me back? Uh, did you come into work? Uh, <laughs> I need something. something. Yeah. The TD thing. I ignored yeah. you for a while. So, but so that's a crazy story. Ever. If you want to follow up on He's that dead, story. But let's get him to come into work. <laughs> yeah. If you want to follow up on that story, as well as so many of the other things we've talked about, Google's your friend. But that story in particular is uh, Saul and the Witch of Endor. Yeah. Um, but anyway, Saul, or David also has his Star son. Yeah. yeah. So that, that whole... The story just lives on. on. It doesn't ever <laughs> stop. Like. Yeah. So you went through Absalom being advised to go and take the, concub- the concubines and the wives of David up on the roof mm-hmm. and have his way with them. He does that. He does. That's yeah. in the text. Oddly enough, he's angry. Yeah. His first great injustice and, and anger with yep. David comes from, oh, the women were taken advantage of in our lives. So and let's so go take advantage of his, of his women. Yeah. 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 Just, yeah, right? The, the myth of social justice. justice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That is, yeah, third world it's country especially. That's kind of like the way it works. The yeah. The passionate I'm going to bring justice ends up becoming the dictator. Yeah. Yep. And you can look at Plato's work in the Republic for seeing that outline. But yeah, yeah he That's I think that's the great warning of Absalom. Is you had all this social righteousness and yet inside you wound up producing nothing but death and abuse just uh, way more than David ever did. What is insane about that story in particular is he's so upset about the rape of his sister and yet he goes and David is described as having hundreds of women at this point. And Absalom goes through each of them yep. in public. So yep. what was done in secret is now in the public eye. That is just mind-blowing. Yeah. Like, the the depth of this story just keeps giving. To and the like, irony, too. Yeah, the like, irony. Oh, this was all done in secret, what they did. What he did to Uriah was secret. Now We're going to do public. everything to him in the public, oh, no. right? Like, yep. yeah. yeah. See, I'm accountable. I'm doing everything in the public. I probably almost feel justified about doing it. Yeah. Thank God, yeah, the self-justification of Absalom was yeah. so egotistical. Yeah. But thank God, kid, all, but, this, yeah. all this falls apart. So Absalom ends up getting his hair caught in a tree, sure. of all things. Yeah. Um, so he, he's As riding away. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> As it does when you have yeah, long, yeah. flowing, beautiful hair. Right. I like that it takes, there, a, boys. A, it takes a sidestep <laughs> to explain that his beautiful hair, like yeah. his long, flowing, beautiful hair is what gets caught. 
The author is whoever did this does a great job of setting setting stuff up with payoffs later. Yeah. Like it mentions the hair like earlier, and you're like, he was so beautiful. Had this really long hair. Let me just make sure you know there was hair. He had long hair. And now for the death scene. Remember the hair? <laughs> Guess what? <laughs> like he kills it. Yeah. Yep. And he gets he gets his hair caught in a tree mm. while he's fleeing. Cursed is he who yep. dies on a tree. tree. Yep. yep. Cursed. The son of David dies on a tree. Mm-hmm. Oh, well, yeah. So, yeah, all kinds of New Testament. Um, I'm so glad that Jesus wasn't like Absalom. But, <laughs> yeah. yeah, so many parallels and uh, textual little goodies in there. But And it, Absalom gets ran through with a spear um, multiple times. <laughs> he... He takes ten of the concubines up on the roof. And Joab, when he f- catches him, orders him to be stabbed by ten armor bearers. Ooh. So Absalom stabs three women. With Joab, three children. And Joab stabs boys. him with his, th- his ten. ten Because yeah. an armor bearer was just a youth. It was like yep. a squire. Yeah, they were tall as young men, yeah. So a bunch of, bunch of, yeah, a bunch of young men. Killed the young man Absalom. Wow. This story, Ooh. like the, the irony and the poetic, like yeah. arcs and flows of this story, are just like sometimes I'm like the, the how like how does someone's life turn that like just become that mathematically precise <laughs> in terms of just even the numbers of like t- takes ten women and does this and then ten men. But this is where they're... like the general disservice of the way we read scripture today. It does a disservice to the narrative. Because we break it up so much, mm. we don't. We like you have those like read a read a chapter a week or a tap, chapter a day, whatever, and we lose that narrative of the flow of the story. We lose the tension, and we lose like you were talking about earlier the ability to tell stories, the storytelling that goes on. There's so many Bible reading plans that just cycle through the New Testament and Psalms and Proverbs. Yeah, yeah, I think. Uh, and I also think people sometimes just don't take the stories seriously enough. Yeah. Like, they just read through, and they keep going. Like I, I'm, And I was surprised, like, how much... Like, I'll go back and read it again now. I'm like, how did I miss this? Yeah. Like, I thought I was reading this so so carefully and so so wisely and, <laughs> and maturity with more enlightened eyes of the ancient world. But no, I'm still missing stuff because yeah. I'm a white American living in 2018. Like, there's just stuff I'm going to miss. But they should go back and read stuff and, and yeah. find this stuff. They no, read it. Yeah, go it back seriously. and read these stories. You know, and take c- your time. Circling back it. to why we don't do this, I wonder how much of it is the fear that as we experience their story, we'll see our story, mm, and that yeah. terrifies mm, us. That's a great point. Yeah, that's a great point. Because so much of this is just people being people, and nations being nations, and then reflecting on where we are currently. Mm-hmm. The seeking of power, the seeking of control, and all that, and how that led it hurts. Salt. It hurts to be able to be like, "Ooh, we're making there the was, same mistakes." There were so many moments in just this podcast that <laughs> make you cringe. <laughs> they do because yeah. the details are hard. Yeah. Oh, I thought you meant because like we suck at speaking. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Actually, I've already I call myself saying like voice. a word where I was like, oh, I said a word totally wrong and i write words for a living supposedly but <laughs> no you you remember the larry larry nasser case yeah it's michigan michigan state university horrible you remember the dad 
who jumped over to try and get to try him. and like grab like just grab this no, guy sorry, and, yeah. and the police are grabbing him down like Sir Connor is like I want I want that you let me at that man like what he did. That's Does, why didn't David do that to the guy that did that to his daughter? Yeah, you know yeah. why didn't he do that? And then then we also and then the dad has to come on TV and give an apology. Cause, and, and, you know, and what the dad says is true. Yeah, you know, like, I, the, the course of law is the best way to go through this. Violence is not the answer. And yet we all kind of wanted violence. Yeah. Like, we're all kind of like, for him, you're right? good, I'm Absalom. Go yeah. get the guy that did this to you. You know, there, there's a weird un- discomfort where we understand, we understand yeah. both. We understand that, yeah, sort this out legally. Violence is not going to solve this. It's going to lead to more violence. And what yet was- the second someone just wants to be violent, we're also like... Yeah, I feel that too. And we like, gotta support them. We're and we can support them. Yeah, We're Twitter. Twitter was like, God bless this man. Like he, yeah. he did what everyone wanted to do, and he kind of did. Like we all kind of took a shot, you know. But doesn't mean we do, or that, or that that would have helped. Yeah, that is the one thing that that someone once said to me about the Old Testament is that maybe the whole, maybe a lot of the old lessons of the Old Testament is it doesn't have to be this way. Yeah. And then yeah. we get the New Testament. We're like, oh, this is the <laughs> this is how right someone could have handled being a being a king. Yeah. Or this is how someone yeah. could handle being the son of David. Yeah. Mm. Absalom dies. To yeah. Bring us back to oh. our narrative. <laughs> oh yeah. We're, we're so still trying to. Re- Absalom. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we're still fine, right? It's we recorded sure. almost two hours once, right? We have before. Yeah. yeah. A long, I mean, I could literally. It could this be midnight, is, and I could. This still, is good I, stuff, though. I can keep. It is. No, it is. Honestly, stuff that this is. Dive into. And again. This is why it doesn't get talked about very often in churches because it might take two hours to hash out details and to be able to interject and talk about them yeah. as you're going. But a lot of this stuff is too stuff where you see people try to do like a film of Team King David or like a movie or uh, you know, and you just and, and they don't really think about it. Like they they just have yeah. like oh well that's a sex scene, like let's throw <laughs> that in there. Or, oh yeah. yeah, that's a battle scene. We can do that or. And they have this like kind of surface level reasoning, but like these these characters are so complex, and we don't get this with everyone in the Bible. You know, you don't get all the complex stuff yeah. that's going on with Moses's you know teenage years, or you know with even Jesus's teenage years. Like you don't get this. This is a this is a full fledged ancient biography that you really get a lifelong look at how this person changed over his entire life. So why not explore? Why not explore that? Mm-hmm. You know. Anyway, so yeah, Absalom dies. Absalom, <laughs> Absalom dies. He's still hanging out the tree. Um, by the and of course, who hair. kills him? Joab. Who yeah. kills like everyone in the story? Joab. <laughs> Joab. Who, Joab. Abner died. Honestly, Joab. though, and Uriah died. Joab. <laughs> and Abner, uh, Absalom died. Joab. Joab though is who, who the, kills the general after him? Joab. Joab is the voice though of the people that crave for justice and mm-hmm. just want it now. Yeah, he really is. Like he embodies swift. <laughs> vigilante justice because in every case in which Joab kills he's not necessarily in the wrong he's kind of what, uh, what do you mean well, I mean <laughs> he, he, with this damn grand, grand scheme grand scheme yeah. he is in this the wrong <laughs> grand scheme he is in the wrong well. <laughs> <laughs> I am a pacifist but when you're reading through the story Joab is killing all the people that you feel he should kill like if you're if you're a Walking Dead fan, which I am, Joab is like the guy that undermines the leaders to kill the people you know are bad news. Mm. And 
you right. are secretly like wishing Rick would just man up and kill the people he needs to kill to keep his people safe. Mm-hmm. Joab is that guy. And just using Walking Dead as an example, but for those that don't w- watch Walking Dead, if you read through the narrative, most of the people that Joab kills, you want him to do it right up until the point when he does it. Then you're just like, you're sick. <laughs> really? Like, like You're rooting for him to hurt them, but not quite kill them. No, yeah, because the whole time, these no, are the is, bad yeah. guys. These yeah, are the yeah. bad guys. So like Abner, you want Abner dead the whole time. Abner's the only thing keeping David from being king mm-hmm. over all of the United um, Jewish people and then it gets to the moment where justice should be done and Joab takes it in a way that is disgusting and inhuman and just wrong but the whole time and I'm, Joab almost acts as that checks and balance to your desire for violent justice because the moment you're given it you feel sick yeah. like I wanted this the whole time and then you see it and you're like Ugh, what'd you do, Joab? Like, not that way. That's not the way I wanted it. But it really is. It's the way that you've asked for it, the whole narrative. That's, again, why this is just such a crazy, brilliant when, narrative. When we get to the end of his life, David orders, like, his final wishes to Solomon are, you know, like, be a good man, like, follow God, kill Joab. Like that's literally <laughs> one of the last things he says. I don't remember that. Do not no. let his gray head go down to Sheol in peace. Really? That's oh. what he says. I, there's a, uh, one of my favorite uh, lines someone just wrote. Like, so I, Man, I'm trying to remember. It might be after Goliath, um, that book. But someone just wrote, someone says David said, Solomon's like, wait, what do you want? Is it Solomon just killed the son of a bitch. David's like get him, but it's true. And he says to him, uh, "Kill him, kill him for t- two men, two lives he took, uh, he, lives he took for war in a time of peace." One huh. is Abner. Yeah, Abner did kill someone in war. Abner was their warrior. But when Joab kills him, they've already made a peace treaty. They've already had yeah. a. He's already brought him a call. He's already he's going back to just finish the final. Like he's in a time of peace. You didn't have to kill him then. The, the war was over. So that, I, I, I get what you're saying about why, why there's a part of us and why that culture wants a Joab. But, there, but, but a man after God's own heart doesn't want a Joab. Like, we made peace. We yeah. made peace and you killed him. And then also with, uh, with the general that was in, um, oh yeah, this is really messed up. So during the Absalom Rebellion, one of the generals that goes with Absalom is, another one of David's nephews from a different sister. They think that he had two sisters. One who was named Abigail. The other was his older sister. Uh, oh, what are, what are the sons of Zeruiah is her name, I think? I'm sorry, I'm blanking. I don't know why I'm blanking on that because I've read it a million times. Uh, sons of Zeruiah. I think her name is Zeruiah. She's his mother. And then uh, they have the other sister, Abigail. So Job's, Job and Abishai and Asahel were the sons of Zeruiah. And then they have another son of David's other sister. Mm-hmm. He becomes Abna, Absalom's general. After that, David forgives him, demotes Joab after that battle for probably obvious reasons. <laughs> uh, specifically said, don't kill my kid. You killed my kid, and then then yelled at me when I was crying about it. Like, that was <laughs> not... Uh, Joab, Just he's a tough, cold <laughs> man. He has a little moment where he... He has a little interesting moment with David, and he tries to bring... Absalom back using a woman as like a 
storyteller, kind of the way Nathan did. Joab's interesting. Um, But yeah, so then Joab's like, where is he? He's a day late. And he shows up a day late, and Joab kills him right there in the road. They roll the body to the side, and he's like, let's go. The men just follow Joab. So he kills his own cousin. Oh, wow. And those are the two men David's like, for what he did to Abner and what he did to... We did to that other general, your, his cousin. Who killed, my other nephew. Drubs killed like half of David's family in the story. <laughs> yeah, he's wow. a... So yeah, David was not happy and he orders the hit. And that's that's kind of really when the legacy of David ends. Solomon kills him. And he sends Benaiah, who is David's... He's one of the famous mighty men, the one who kills the lion in the snowy pit. Uh, and he fights two Moabite warriors and he kills an Egyptian. And Benaiah is sent to kill him. And it's found out that Joab, once he finds out that his conspiracy to oust Solomon is done, he flees to the flees to the uh, the sacrifice, um, the horns of the altar, and he's holding on to the horns. And they're like, "Well, we can't kill him. He's in the holy place." Solomon's like, "Nah, kill him there." Benai goes in, and he's like, "Joab, come out, or I'm going to kill you in there." He's like, "Fine, I want to die here." So Benaiah, one of the mighty men, who was actually David's bodyguard, or head of the head of the household guard, or I think it says, he's the one who kills Joab, right there at that altar of sacrifice. Wow! And you want to talk about symbolism <laughs> yeah. of all the things they had to sacrifice, all the things Joab sacrificed, all things David sacrificed. Yep. Where does Joab die? On an altar. Wow. <laughs> So I mean, you can't. This stuff is yeah. like it's the po- the poetic like symbolism of it is just too. It's too perfect. It really. It's the, the story. You can't. You can never forget this once you know this stuff. Which is why you've been obsessed for. Yeah, yeah, yeah. guys. This, little, this is a drug. The <laughs> <laughs> drug. The Renaissance painters and artists had it too, guys. Yeah. <laughs> Look at all the stuff they did. <laughs> you, they well, know. They knew. So I knew. <laughs> This has been a very successful podcast because what I hoped by bringing you into it and reaching out to you, <laughs> you would look smarter than someone else. <laughs> no, we, no, <laughs> like we do nothing. To no. <laughs> so what I really hoped and honestly prayed would come from this would be that the story would come alive. Sorry. You're fine. I realized I'm sorry. If we lost our clean rating. We don't care if we lose our clean rating. I'm sorry. We should have lost it ages ago. It just means my five-year-old son can't listen to it. Yeah. (laughs) Well, who really listens to us on iTunes? Maybe he should. Don't flannel graph his King David experience. It's an hour and 37 minutes. He doesn't have that attention span. Sure he does. (laughs) Lord of the Rings is like five times that. (laughs) For our Russian bot listener out there. (laughs) Our voices are just as interesting as watching (laughs) that. No, but this really was exactly what I was hoping for. I wanted the story to come alive. I wanted us to be able to somehow manage to, one way or another, get through the life of David, which we did in an hour and 40 minutes. In a nonlinear way as well. Yeah. yeah. yeah we, Sorry about that. We made I, told, I warned you about way. the rabbit trails. <laughs> no, but what, I hope it, what I hope it does is make people dive into the, the story of David, read the scriptures, mm-hmm. yeah. read it. Over and over and again. Honestly, dive into, of our want... podcast, this is more entertaining yeah. than a lot of what we've recorded. Yeah. So if this is the first time you're listening, go back and listen to us. But this narrative style reading of scripture is enjoyable. Mm. It's not just something you have to do for devotions. This is something you do because it is rich. Like there is so much good literature in the text. Yeah. And so much of it like it echoes, it comes back. Like the stuff that Hannah 
says in her first prayer, the way, the way the story of Samuel and really this whole narrative opens is actually with that woman's prayer. And it's a song. And it's she, she talks all about the idea of a good leader and justice and stuff. And you just see everything in that initial prayer and song. It's the whole, like, you, you, you go back and you're like, how did this woman say all this stuff before any of these lives had lived? Like, how, like, what? And it just, gotta listen to the women. <laughs> gotta listen to the women. That's the story of King David, it's the man listen. Just listen to what the women tell you when it's McCall. Well, if you take anything away from this, listen to listen McCall. To go through the window. Listen to Abigail. Don't kill anyone. Eat something. <laughs> <laughs> that's one thing I really I did like it's like oh, Abigail came with food David came with swords Abigail won <laughs> <laughs> yeah. well I think we're going to tie it up for a moment yeah. would you come back I would love to come back and do this again I would probably only offer any insights on King David I'm I I would have nothing profitable <laughs> worth listening to but anyway, <laughs> like, you know, what kind of fish you think it was with Jonah? Is it like a, I don't know, like a whale shark maybe? Do you guys think that's even real? What do you guys, I don't know. Like, I would what if have we nothing. give you a new addiction to work on? Like, what if we say you have to read about Jonah? No. Would it be fun? I can't. No, I'm already, can't. no, this is already destroyed. <laughs> if, let's say, if you wanted to give like one particular spot, like, hey, can we just... Next time, can we just talk about the women and the narratives? Okay. Next Done. time, can we just Done. talk about Goliath? Done. And we got to do it before booked. you move to L.A. and get famous. No. <laughs> that's not going to... No, you'll ever. fly back for it, or no, you're not going to get famous. <laughs> All right. What would you guys... If you were to see something about... like how, how do you think something should be done right? Like, if you were to watch a visual, like a film or a TV show... Because a lot of guys, especially in high school, like all Christian guys are like... Wouldn't it be cool if they made a movie about King David in the morning? And they've tried. A couple <laughs> people have tried. But I feel like every guy looked, has said that. It looked that. like Braveheart. Right? Braveheart, yeah. That, is that what people want? They just want... They want the they guts just want of the battle. Honestly, they just want a guy the who's, violence and who's sex. a perfect hero. Yeah. They want violence and sex. So... That's what that's what you want? What do you think... No, what do you guys want? Dan wants. No. He <laughs> said at the beginning. Yeah, oh, right. I want the sex yeah, part. No. But you also want David to be a pacifist, too. So, yeah. Well, as a pacifist and as not a horror movie movie watcher i love the walking dead because of the dynamics of the characters okay to circle it back to that um and i know there's cheesy moments there's all kinds of plot holes like how do the zombies survive winter and all these things <laughs> you know there's all sorts of nerd things that we could go yeah. into but the reality is they have some amazingly dynamic characters that i've enjoyed mm-hmm. over many years now mm-hmm. and i feel as if the way to present david is to almost start with like a a jest or a poke like yeah like that time that David rode in and uh, cut off a hundred Philistine foreskins and people are like oh wait what <laughs> you know because people yeah. don't think those things are in the Bible or something like the you know there's so many little details like you've shared so many ringers tonight where it's just like all of a sudden it brings the story full circle there's moments like that that need to be talked about, and if that just means you show up at a bar and try and talk to people about David, <laughs> then you're doing your work That's to share right the Which, scriptures. by the way, let me let me do the final ring for you. Then four children. It was he said four times the guy. Yeah. You had, you had the baby. You had, in some ways, some some would say Tamar's life was lost by what happened. Mm-hmm. You had Amnon, then you had Absalom. The man who does this should be punished four times. 
and he's pay four kids. Pay fourfold for the yeah. life he took. Wow. There's your last ringer. It really was. <laughs> it, really, it really was four. Some would even say maybe you don't, maybe because Tamar te- technically died, you could count the son who fought against Solomon and died yeah. prematurely. He was like executed for what he his betrayal. So there were there were technically four sons of David that died prematurely. So you will come back and talk about the women. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, on a happy note. Um, on a happy note, I'm not. I'll, I'll talk note. about. I'll talk about anything you guys want. To. I really like you guys. You're, I mean, obviously, I've liked you for years. Yeah. Uh, I've just met you now, and you seem like a great guy. He's pointing at people. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he, I'm the one that he likes. For the record, he pointed at me. Yeah, he did. Yeah, and I like you. <laughs> deciding. Hopefully, um, yeah, you never. Know. Yeah, this is this has been fun, and I love so, doing it with. I'm a huge. I mean, I'm a Grand Rapids guy. I love craft beer. So yep. yeah. So yeah, speaking of beer, we're yeah, drinking we Mad Hatter, which is madly symbolic of King Saul. The madness of King yeah, Saul. Yeah, the madness of King Saul. It's New Holland Brewing, so it's local. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And, <laughs> and it's... Paul and I are both ending with our Mad Hatters, so... I... Okay. <laughs> <laughs> we're both ending with our Mad Hatter. Um, Mike is ending The Mad Hatter's the ending you. <laughs> so... You'll oh, share, yeah. Why do we have this one? You'll share on that one. But yeah, okay. This, so this one is 7% alcohol, the Mad Hatter is. But to augment the alcohol is an obscene amount of hops, which make me tired. And if I'm tired sober, I still act silly. So <laughs> the the sleep portion of this and the fact that I only slept like five hours last night has me quite tired. But this has been enjoyable. It's kept me on the edge of my seat, quite literally. So, at our second drink, because we had two six packs that we did not finish either. Of yeah, them. for Just, the record, for the record, we had a couple left. Is well, oh, I'll point it to I'm Mike. Sorry, okay, sorry. I you have yeah. to, you have to fulfill this the is, second uh, part. The American yeah. wheat the Bible, ale. You do the beer now. This is the American wheat ale from Deschutes Brewery. Am I saying that right? Deschutes. Um, it's pretty tasty. Uh, it's wheaty, which we got because that was the type of uh, beer that would have been made by the Philistines and other peoples of that that area. It would have been a very wheat-heavy brew. It's a uh, let me see. Yep, tastes like a wheat beer. <laughs> <laughs> um, it, it's tasty. It's got a little sweetness to it, I think, too. Deschutes yeah. does all things decently. Mm-hmm. It is, it is quite. A, it is a decent beer for decent folk. But it's not from Grand Rapids, so you no. can oh, you can hold from, back your full endorsement. It's from Deschutes. I believe that's Iowa? out in Oregon. 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 I thought so. Could I thought wrong. it sounded like Iowa, but we're good with Oregon. We're not sure where. Maybe it's from if yet. anyone, the commenters, would like to. Yep. Yeah. If it you is, want to be yep, the first, Bend, it is Bend, Oregon. If you want to be I the first right. person to comment on our Facebook page, tell us what you want us to drink next time, I guess. Or, send us beer. Yeah, send us beer. Or what you want us to talk about or, King David next time. Or, yeah, what so parts of go. King David you want us to touch on. But thank you for joining us for Episode 8. We will have an Episode 9 lined up, and we got 10 lined up, and now we got 11 lined up. Yeah. So we got three and more in the cooking. Paul, Paul and I, side note, are going to hear Brian Zand yep. in June. I fully intend... Because we're going to have time, and what are we going to do? Stay up late and tell ghost stories? So I feel like we should record. We could record while we're there. Yeah. And yeah. so we'll be coming up with something cool that weekend um, that we're with Brian Zand. And Brian, if you happen to listen to this, you can be a guest. 
Oh my gosh, that would be so sweet. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, thank you for putting up with us again, and we will catch you guys later on. Thank you guys for having me. Bye. Yeah.